everyone. Welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location, Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian. I pastor that location, and it is good to talk to you again. When people gather together for a church service, there are things that they can do that will make worship of God and the presentation of the gospel more effective. There are also things that happen within the life of the church that can actually be quite harmful to worship of God and the presentation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Today as we continue our walk through the book of James, we are going to talk about something that happens quite often in our church gatherings. And James says it is something that can actually do quite a bit of harm. So what is it that we're talking about? You'll find out in just a moment. This is an important topic, so I hope you enjoy this one. I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something He would like to say to you. I'd invite you, if you would, to go ahead and grab uh, your Bible, or grab, if you don't have one with you, there's Bibles in the seats right in front of you. Uh, we are going to take a look this morning at James chapter 2. So if you're not sure where James is, uh, you can flip to the back of the book if you would like and work your way backwards. You start in the book of Revelation and keep going backwards. James is the seventh book in. Uh, if you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far. And you go back and then we get to James chapter 2, verse 1. We will be in in just a moment. I'd encourage you to take a look at this passage. I think this is a pa- passage that is, like most of James's letter, highly, highly applicable to our daily lives. And so I'd encourage you to take a look at it uh, so that you can see for yourself what James is saying uh, and maybe listen to what God might say to you. Let me ask you a question as we begin this morning. How is a church just like a subway car? I want you to think about. For some of you, this picture here uh, we'll put on the screen is a little too real, right? This is what Monday. This is what tomorrow morning is going to look like for you. Some of you are not happy. I'd put up a picture of the red line like this, but you know what this is like, right? If you've ridden the MBTA, how is church kind of? Uh, how is it like a subway car? Well, you might say, well, they're both you know filled with weird smells. No, that's not what I'm going at. You might say, well, they're both always running late. No, that's not what I'm going for. They're both filled with announcements of things that I don't plan on attending. No, that's not how they're the same. Here's how they're the same. Uh, Church and a subway car, they're one of the two places that when you enter into them, you find yourself surrounded by people that you might not normally sit next to. You don't get a choice. You walk into the subway car, you walk into church, and the group of people who gather is a, is a, is a very uh, different kind of group. You sit in a subway car, and, and you sit next to people from, from different places than you're from, people of different ethnicities. You hear different languages being spoken. You sit next to people that don't have common interests with you. The, the high-powered executive sits next uh, to the, the hourly worker side by side. And there's not many places in our life where that happens because often we choose who we're going to spend time with. If I'm going to sit in a circle with people or I'm going to gather people together, then I'm going to choose people who are like me, people that I know I'll enjoy spending time with. There are, very f- there are fewer places in our life where we are sort of put together without our cho- choosing. But church is one of those places where we come together and we're of different backgrounds, we're of different ages, 
we're of different likes and dislikes. Some of you heard me say that uh, you could come to the Sunday Night Project tonight after the Patriots game, and some of you thought to yourself, yeah, good, I'll watch the Patriots. And some of you are like, why does he mention sports? I can't stand sports. Because we're different. We have different likes and dislikes. Think about it. If you were going to throw a party at your house, look around. Are these the people you'd invite? Maybe. But there's a lot of different people. And church is one of those places where we find ourselves seated next to people that are different than us. Now, how is church in a subway car, how are they different? Well, that's what we're going to figure out today as we talk through James chapter 2. Because there is a very unique difference between those environments where we're sort of forced together for something like traveling to a destination and church when we come in with all our different likes and dislikes and backgrounds and thoughts and and feelings on things. When we all come together, there's a huge difference between that and the other places in our life where we are forced into a room together with people that might be different than us. And we're going to talk about what that difference is today. So James chapter 2, and we're going to read all the way through verse 13. And I'd invite you to take a look down at the text, and let's read it together. This is what James says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James writes to this, these believers, these Christians, and he has a simple, uh, a simple command for them. He says, brothers, when you gather together... When you get together in your assembly, show no partiality. Literally, what that word means, that word that's, that's translated partiality or that word that's translated favoritism in some of your Bibles, that word, if we were just to, to literally translate the Greek into English, is a phrase that, that uh, would be receive the face. Receive the face. James says, my brothers, when you gather, do not receive people by their faces. In other words, don't judge people by looking at them. When someone walks into the gathering in church, James says, do not say to yourself, I like that person, I'll talk to them, just by looking at them. And do not say to yourself, I don't like that person, I won't talk to them, 
just by looking at them. James says, don't let someone walk into the room and for any reason, what they're wearing or what they look like or what they say or what they don't say, show any sort of partiality to them when they come into your gathering. Really what James is telling the people, if I was to put it in in maybe simpler terms, is he's saying to them very simply, when you gather, pay attention to whom you pay attention. When you get together for worship, James says, pay attention to whom you pay attention. And James gives them a specific example. Now, if you remember, if if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, James is writing to a very specific group of people. These are Christians who have left their home because they were being persecuted and have gone to other areas to try and find people to take them in. But all they've found as they've gone to other areas is more persecution. And James says to them, you get together for church, you get together for worship, and a rich person walks in, and you see the rich person. He calls him the gold-fingered man is the literal Greek there. I don't know if he was a James Bond guy or, or what, but the gold-fingered man with shiny clothing, clothing, James says in the Greek, he walks into your group, to your group, and everyone falls all over themselves to give him the best seat in the room. And then the poor person walks in with shabby clothing, and you make them sit in the back. And James says to them, don't you realize what you're doing? The rich people in your community are the people who are taking you into court. They're the people who are persecuting you. And yet when they walk into your assembly, you fall all over yourselves trying to make them feel important and special. You're saying to yourself, we can get something out of this person. Let's treat them well. And you're saying to another person, they have nothing to offer us, so it doesn't matter how we treat them. And James says it should not be. Pay attention to whom you're paying attention. Now, we tend to be a society that really prides ourselves on our ability to welcome people into places well. We pride ourselves on this. We have movements and parades and everything else. We will welcome everybody in. And in the church, we probably feel like we do this well. But you do not have to go back that far in the history of the church in the United States of America to find a system much like James is talking about in James chapter 2. When we moved into this building a few years ago, uh, I, we did something that, that some of you probably still hold against us. We took the hallowed pews out of this room. And all the pews, whether they were the ones that went into that wall over there or into that wall over there, or the ones that were right in the middle, all of the pews on the side had imprinted on them What? Numbers. It started one, two, three, four, five, six, and I don't remember exactly how many rows. And then half of this pew was seven, eight, nine, ten, and the other half was 11, 12, 13, 14. And then up in the balcony, too, the pews had numbers. Why did they have numbers? Because people, not that long ago, in the church in the U.S., would buy their seats. You would pay for the right to sit in a certain area. And if you went, say, to the Old North Church down in Boston, you can see this displayed uh, perfectly. In fact, they went further than just having numbered pews. There are boxes in some churches with a closing door. And the family would buy their box. And they would go into their box, they would sit down, and they would close the door. And as you might guess, 
the people with the most money got the best boxes. And I don't know if you can see in the picture, but see up there in the balcony, there's the open seating for the common folk who can't afford a box, way up there in the balcony in those pews. And do we not do the same thing today? Some of you feel like you own the seat you're sitting in right now. And if you walked into church and someone else had gotten here before you and taken that seat, that's tough to deal with. Some of you hear this numbering pew system and you're saying to yourself right now, I'd never heard of this before, but this is not a bad plan. We might think about implementing something like this so that we all know where we're supposed to sit on Sundays. If you and I are honest with ourselves, the exact same thing happens in church today. Someone walks in the back of the room, and we know immediately, because we do this in every other place of our life, whether or not we want to talk to them. We receive people by their face, don't we? It's this thing that we don't like to talk about too much in our open, accepting society, but we still do it. It's still true. I mean, I even do it based on people's stickers on the back of their car. I don't even have to see their face. I just see the back of their car and the stickers they have, and I can already kind of tell whether or not we would, we would get along. I mean, 26.2, it seems a little, little braggy to me. I don't, know, I don't know if we would get along that well, right? Darwin fish eating a Jesus fish, I don't know if we'd get along that well. And even from what people would put on, on a car or they would put uh, on, on a website, on a Facebook profile or something like that, we make decisions, Right away, whether or not that's someone we want to engage with or not. And someone walks in the back of the church, and you and I take a look. And we, either, we say to ourselves, uh, that's someone that I need to talk to. They look like they have something to offer me. Or that's someone I might not connect with. And so I'll let someone else do that. James says, don't do it. Pay attention to whom you're paying attention to. And the question is, why? Why is this so important to James? Well, James gives us two reasons in this passage, two big reasons why this is so important. And the first reason that James gives is he says this. He says, showing partiality is inconsistent with who you say you are. Right at the very beginning, James addresses this group in a specific way. My brothers, my brothers, he means that it's an inclusive term. My brothers and sisters, he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You call yourselves followers of Jesus, and if you're going to call yourselves followers of Jesus, showing partiality is inconsistent with who you say you are. And then he says in verse 4, do you know what happens to you when you show partiality? You become something other than a follower of Jesus. You become a judge with evil thoughts, James says. You become a judge with evil thoughts. And specifically in his example with the rich man and the poor man, this is what James says happens. James says, what you do is you devalue the concern that God shows for everybody. You say that you serve Jesus. You say that you serve God. And when you value one person over another, you actually devalue what God says he holds valuable. 
And so if you look back in what God says, and you went to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, you would read something Moses says to the people, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And again, in Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in your righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And Jesus said similar things as well. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. He said, blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And James says, you say that you serve Jesus Christ and you say that you serve God. However, God shows no partiality. God does not reject someone on an external appearance as they walk into the gathering. And so showing partiality, James says, is inconsistent with who you say you are. Now, this is an important clarification In our world today, we use words like tolerance and acceptance to talk about accepting people not only for what they look like, but everything that they would do. That is not what James is talking about here. When you and I walk into the gathering, when you and I walk into worship, it doesn't matter if you're the pastor of the church or if it's the first time walking in church in a long time. There are still things in our life, sin that must be rooted out of our life through Jesus Christ and the inworking of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That still needs to happen. And so when James says, show no partiality, he's not saying, accept people exactly where they are and don't ever tell them they have to change anything about their life. That's not what he's saying. Although that's what our world might hear because of how our world operates. He's saying, do not do what God doesn't do, and that is show partiality to one group over another. It's not just inconsistent with who we say we are when we do this, James says. It's also inconsistent with what God says to do. It's also inconsistent with what God says to do. James says in verse 8, if you look there, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become accountable for all of it. James says this is a a serious thing. See, it would be really easy for us to say, oh, so, you know, partiality, showing favoritism to one person over another in church, it's like gossip. It's sin, but not really. It's not like the big ones. It's not like the big no-nos. It's not like the big ones that God says not to do. And James says, no, no, no. In fact, he throws in, if you remember when we read the verses, he throws in murder and adultery. He says, this is just like any of these other things. In fact, this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, it is one of the two things that encompasses the whole of God's law. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was asked about it? It's in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was asked. When Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. And James says, you break this one, you broke the whole deal. This is one of the big two. Not showing favoritism, not showing partiality, welcoming people into the gathering well, welcoming people into the body well, not judging them based on what they look like externally, not devaluing one soul over another. At the end of the day, what God is saying is he's saying that he has equal value on each person's soul, no matter who they are or where they come from. And when you and I choose one person over another, when you and I, especially in the gathering of worship, show partiality to one person over another person, we are valuing the soul of one person over another person. The value of the rich person's soul in that gathering was greater than the value of the poor person's soul by the way the people were acting. And James says, don't be foolish. It is not how God treats people. That is how the world treats people. It is not how God treats people. God shows no partiality, no favoritism when it comes to the display of his love and the opportunity for people to come to him. And one of the quickest ways that you and I can do damage to the message of the gospel is to have someone who is broken, lost, searching, seeking, finally work up the courage to walk into a church building. See, some of you have been there. Sometimes we completely underestimate how difficult it is to walk into church because some of us have done it every Sunday for years. It just is what it is. You just walk into church. For the person that hasn't been there in five years, 10 years, a lifetime, the idea of walking up the steps into the church building is incredibly challenging. And We underestimate sometimes, we forget if we've been in church for a while, what that must feel like. So the person finally works up the courage to walk into the building, seeking and searching and wondering if there's an answer here, and they walk through the door, and the people of the church take one look and go, nope, and talk to their friends and sit where they always sit. That's one of the quickest ways to close the door for the work of the gospel in someone's heart. And James says, when people walk into your gathering, don't show any favoritism, don't show any partiality. This is is very specific. This is not about letting people do whatever they want all the time. This is not about how you choose leaders among yourself for the church. This is about how you welcome people into the fellowship. And all of us know what it's like, don't we? To walk in the doors of the church and know immediately that we don't belong. Imagine what God would do through us if when the people who are around us, most of whom have not walked into a church building in a long time, that when they come through the door, we are able to welcome them well. That it's not just about us and our friends and the people that we get along with, but we are able to invite them into the fellowship. Imagine what God might do. And James says, when you do this, 
It is inconsistent with who you say you are, and it is inconsistent with what God says to do. And James says to them, pay attention to whom you pay attention because God pays attention to whom you pay attention. This matters to him. This is one of the two things that sums up the whole law that God has given. And when we don't do this well, damage is done. And don't forget, don't forget this simple truth, that when you were at your worst, when you were at your worst spiritually, Jesus paid attention to you. When you were lost, when you had your back turned towards him, when you were at your absolute lowest, Jesus did not say, I'm going to come and show my love for those who have their act together. Jesus said, I'm going to come and show my love for those who do not. In fact, this is the way Paul says it in Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, he writes, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it would have been so easy for Jesus to come to this world and to look at you and to look at me in the state of our sin and lostness and to come on this ground and to look us in the face and say, nope, they're too far gone. They're not like me. But Jesus did not do that to you and to me. He paid attention to us even when we didn't look perfect. After 9-11 at the funeral service, Rudy Giuliani said something in that gathering that I, I think is, is pretty appropriate to what we're talking about this morning. This is what he said. He said, you know, people, I've learned something through all of this. Let me see if I can express it to you. When everybody was fleeing that building and the cops and the firefighters and the EMS people were heading up into it, do you think any of them said, I wonder how many black people are up here for us to save? I wonder what percentage of white people are here. How many Jewish people do you think are here? Let's see. Are these people making $400,000 a year or are they making $24,000 a year? No. When you're saving lives, they're all precious. And that's how we're supposed to live all the time. How would you want the cops to treat you if you were on the 75th floor of the Trade Center that day? Would you want them to say, excuse me, I've got to get the bosses out first? Not exactly. I confess I haven't always lived this way, but I'm convinced that God wants us to do it. He wants us to value every human life the way he does. Jesus is in the life-saving business, not just for a period of time, but for all eternity. And in the same way that those uh, policemen and fire uh, personnel did not value one life over another, Jesus did not value one life over another, but yet gives his free gift of grace and salvation. It's available to all. And yet we, just as people, can so easily think that it applies to some people more than it does to others, or that some people have a greater chance of accepting it than other people do. 
or that we just want to talk to the people that we like and are like us about this. And James says to us, don't make that mistake. So how is a church not like the subway car? Well, it's similar because you're around people that may not be exactly like you. But it's very different in that when we gather together as a church, we are on a life-saving mission. And it is my job as a follower of Jesus Christ, and it is your job as a part of this church to come in and to care for one another, even if you speak a different language, even if you look differently, even if you come from different backgrounds, even if you have different likes or dislikes, it is our job as the body of Christ to show no favoritism, to show no partiality. And when someone walks through the back door, whether they come from Belmont here, Hill, or they come from the neighborhood right behind us, we are to welcome them as Christ would. No stipulation. Welcome them into the gathering well. It is a powerful testimony to the gospel. And I love the way author Philip Yancey puts it. He says this in, in his book, Denominational Diagnostics. He said, one modern Indian pastor told me, most of what happens in Christian churches, including even miracles, can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. But in my area, only Christians strive, however ineptly, to mix men and women of different castes, races, races and social groups. That is the real miracle. And this is what Philip Yancey said. He said, church offers a place where infants and grandparents, unemployed and executives, immigrants and blue bloods can come together. Just yesterday, I sat sandwiched between an elderly man hooked up on oxygen puffing away and a breastfeeding baby who grunted loudly and contentedly throughout the sermon. Where else can I find that mixture? When I walk into a new church, the more its members resemble each other and resemble me, the more uncomfortable I feel. Did you hear that last line? When I walk into a church, the more its members resemble each other and resemble me, the more uncomfortable I feel. James says to you and to me this. He said, because God pays attention and because Jesus paid attention to you, pay attention to whom you're paying attention because God pays attention to this, it's important to him. And because Jesus paid attention to you, pay attention to whom you're paying attention. Now, here's the thing. This is such an easy message, such an easy message to take to ourselves and say, I know, the rest of the church should work on this. This is really what the church needs to do because I know what this is like. I walked into the church and I went to Bible study and no one talked to me. And then I came into church on a Sunday morning and no one likes me and no one talks to me. But that's not the way to apply this message at all. It would be very easy to point the finger and say, yes, I know those people need to work on this. But all of us do this. All of us show partiality and favoritism to some people over others. And when we gather together, when you're having your best friends over to your house, have your best friends over to your house. But when we gather together in worship to honor God together, there should be no partiality and no favoritism. Some of you are about to walk away because of this. Some of you are about to leave church or leave faith because you just feel like you don't belong. 
Let me tell you, just because Christians make mistakes in showing favoritism and partiality, it does not change the love that God has for you. It does not change the love that Jesus displayed for you on the cross. You are valuable to him. And you ought to be valuable here. And where the church has made a mistake, where the church has failed you in that place, I pray you'll offer forgiveness and that we'll continue to work together to do better. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes. Invite our worship team to come forward this morning. And I just invite you to think, where have you made this mistake? And maybe it's just one of those things where getting to church is not easy. You've got to get up early. There's a lot of stuff to get done. You're racing here. You walk in, and the last thing on your mind is making sure everybody else around you feels welcome and comfortable. Maybe there are specific people that you can think of in the gathering who on Sunday mornings you avoid. We are doing damage to the power of the gospel at work among us when we show favoritism and partiality when we gather for worship. As God makes his love and his grace and his spirit available to all, we ought to welcome all into worship. So maybe you'd take a moment this morning and ask God for forgiveness. You would repent of the places where you have fallen short and ask him by his spirit to empower you to do this well for his glory. God, we come before you this morning and we admit to you, Lord, that there are times that we have not done this well. Times that in the, in the gathering of worship, as we gather together to honor you and to sing your praises, that we have devalued your glory, that we have devalued your gospel by showing partiality and favoritism to some people over another. God, thank you that you showed no partiality to us. That you made your son's love, mercy, grace available to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live in that reality, welcoming people well, encouraging one another, <laughs> building each other up as the body of Christ. For your glory, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. and in Burlington, at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MT Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.